So reading the Shema is one of the 613 commandments. We are commanded to recite the paragraphs in the Torah that we call the Shema twice every single day. The Shema itself includes three paragraphs from the Torah. The first one starts with Shema Yisrael, and uh, comes those words, Shema Yisrael, hear Israel, and it comes from the portion of Ha'etchanan, this week's portion, in the book of Devarim, in the book of Deuteronomy. The second paragraph starts with the words of Ahayayim Shabbat, it shall be if you listen. And it comes from next week's parasha, Akev, also in the book of Deuteronomy. The third paragraph is a paragraph that starts with the word Vayomer, and it comes from the portion of Shalach that we read a couple weeks ago in the book of Babidbar, in the book of Numbers. Now, we are commanded to recite the Shema twice every single day. One time in the morning when we wake up, and one time in the evening before we go to sleep. Now, the commandment is not found explicitly in the written Torah. The commandment to recite the Shema twice a day is part of our oral tradition. However, it is alluded to in the written Torah, in both the first paragraph and the second paragraph, where it says, You shall speak of them when you lie down, when you get up. Which although in the literal reading it doesn't appear to be referring to the paragraphs of the Shema, but rather to the command to study Torah that we'll soon speak about. But our sages say this alludes to the commandment that God had taught Moses that we must recite the Shema twice every day. Now, why do we have to, once in the morning when we get up, once in the evening before going to sleep? Why did God tell us to recite the Shema twice every day? So the most basic reason for this is that the Shema and all three paragraphs, as we will see, are fundamental declarations of Jewish faith. Most important one is in the very first line, uh, but central commandments and statements of Jewish faith are found in all three paragraphs. And because of that, God wants us to recite it to remind ourselves of this every single day. Both the belief in God, the commandment to, to love God, to listen, to follow the Torah, to um, follow God's the belief in reward and punishment, mentioning the, uh, the belief in the Exodus. So these are all beliefs mentioned, three paragraphs of Shema, that are fundamental beliefs in Judaism, and therefore we have to declare this twice daily, once when we begin our day, in the morning when we wake up, and once when we end our day before going to sleep. And so that way, begin our day with it, end our day with it, it encompasses every single part of the day. Now, the mitzvah is to recite the words of the Shema in the original Hebrew, as they are found in the Torah. While there are other prayers, and or really all of our prayers, we can recite in any language that we understand, the Shema should be recited in the original Hebrew, um, as written in the Torah. If we don't speak Hebrew, we should still learn what the Shema means. Very important to know what you're saying, to learn its meaning, but then recite it in the original Hebrew. If you do not read Hebrew, today the Shema is available phonetically, in other words, it, uh, written out in Latin letters or English letters, where you can read the Shema that way as well. I will post a link um, 
to the phonetics of, of the, or to the Shabbat and the phonetics of the Shabbat that you can read it as well. Rabbi, so, uh, yes. Why do we recite the second line of the Shema only as an undertone? Very good question. I will get to that very soon. Somehow I figured you would. Thank you. So what exactly does the Shema entail? So the first, there are, as we said, there are three paragraphs of the Shema. The first one, the first paragraph of the Shema is, um, the first paragraph of the Shema, as we said, found in this week's Parsha, starts with the word Shema Yisrael. And the most crucial part of it is the very, very first line, which everybody I'm sure is familiar with, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Of course, we are not pronouncing God's name because since we are not praying or reading Torah, we are forbidden from pronouncing God's name. Instead, we use other names. But that is the paragraph, that is the first line of the Shema and the most important and most well-known line. Some scholars were of the view that this line is really the only line that is a biblical requirement. The others are only rabbinic. The Talmud tells us that we must be aware of what we're saying and focused when we recite this line because it is so important. It's so focused um, that there is a custom that when we recite this very first line, we cover our eyes in order that we should not be distracted by anything else. Traditionally, we cover it with our right hand because right is the sign of kindness. But um, we cover our eyes to ensure that nothing gets in our way, nothing distracts us from this declaration. What is this declaration? So basic translation, Shema Yisrael, hear Israel, Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem is our God, Hashem Echad, Hashem is one. Using the name, we have different names, using the name Havaya, Havaya is our God, our Elokeinu, Havaya, Hashem, our God is one. What does this declaration mean? So on the most basic level, this declaration is a belief in only one God. Most important belief in Judaism. The belief of monotheism, what we call in Hebrew, achdut Hashem. The belief in only one God. Now, believing in only one God is not only a rejection of paganism. There were other religions, there are other religions, that believe in one God plus. There was a religion that is discussed a number of times in the Talmud called Zoroastrianism. It was the religion of the Persian Empire when the Talmud was written, Talmud was written in the Persian Empire. Um, they believed also in an infinite God like we do, but they believed that God is too great to lower himself and get involved into the with the details of this world. Rather, an offshoot of God um, is what is invested in this world and what controls our world and is who you should pray to and who can make an impact on you and on what happens in this world. Um, that um, and so and but God does not believe um, in God does not deal directly with this world. That is heresy in Judaism. We believe there is only one God, and God does deal directly in this world. 
God, though God stands infinitely beyond this world, God is also at the same time invested and involved in every single detail of this world. Another belief of Zoroastrianism mentioned in the Talmud was that while good comes from bad, well, sorry, while good comes from God, there are also bad forces that rebelled against God, that are out of God's control that cause bad things to happen. They could have believed that bad comes from God as well. However, the Torah tells us, and in fact, that a prophecy in Isaiah, he deals with Zoroastrianism directly, um, where he says that God creates both light and darkness. God creates both good and God creates peace and creates bad. bad. Good and bad come from God as well. There are no separate forces that create bad. Uh, both of these beliefs in a lower God, as well as a independent bad force, were both adopted by most um, forms of Christianity today, and are, again, heresy, because one, the one who believes in those does not believe in only one God. The declaration, Hashem Echad, God is one, is the belief that there is one and only God um, who is invested in this world, who created the world, who controls every part of this world, and also who is responsible for both good and for bad. So that is on the most basic sense, the belief of Shema Yisrael, the declaration of one God is a declaration that there is only one force, only one power that is in absolute control of everything. There is no other God, no other forces. God is in charge of both good, both our, every detail in this world, as well as both good and bad. And that rejects um, other beliefs, such as today Christianity, that believe in other forces um, that have some level of independence from God. In a, so that's a very basic sense, the belief in one God. In a deeper sense, the belief is not only a belief in one God. When we say Hashem Echad, we're, it's a belief in a singular God. What do we mean a belief in a singular God? So Judaism believes, and we once did a class, or more than once did a class on this theme, so I'm going to try to address it very, very briefly. Uh, but as quick, clearly as I can in the brief time, um, Judaism believes that God is infinite. Not just infinite, God is an absolute being. While we existences, we <laughs> creations, exist with form. What makes us exist? The fact that we are in a specific time, we are in a specific space, we have specific shape. We have specific form. That's what we are. You ask, what is it? You've got to describe it. What does it mean that you describe it? You are describing its shape and its form. You are describing its detail. And when you speak about anything that exists, what is it? Its shape and its form. Imagine something that had no shape and no form whatsoever. There'd be nothing to describe. There'd be nothing there. In a sense, God is a nothing. An existence that has no shape, no form whatsoever. No detail. 
an absolute existence just is. But not a absolute existence, but the absolute existence. There can, by definition, only be one absolute. Because if there's two absolutes, what separates one from two? Where does one end and two begin? So by definition, there has to be only a single absolute existence that exists as the ultimate existence. And while we, finite existences, are defined by our limitations, by our shape, by our form, we exist only because of our form. The absolute being exists just because it exists. Nothing makes it exist. Nothing created it. It always was. It always will be. Just is. And that is what we mean when we say God. We mean, when we say God, we mean what Maimonides describes absolute existence, total being. Now, from the perspective, if we can even use the term perspective, for an absolute being, nothing else really exists in the way that he exists. In fact, everything that exists exists within the absolute being because the absolute includes everything nothing can possibly it's absolute so nothing can possibly exist outside of it all creation then by definition exists within the creator nothing exists outside of the creator so we are all and we all exist in a limited form as opposed to the absolute being that exists in an absolute way and just exists. We exist in a totally different way. And so when we, when we say Hashem Echad, it's not only that there is only one God, one power, one creator. There is only one true existence, only one absolute being of which everything else exists within that being and whose existence is dependent on that singular absolute being. And that is the true deeper meaning of Hashem Echad, that not just there is one God, but there is a singular God. There is only one possible existence. There is only one absolute being that includes everything and encompasses everything and nothing exists outside. The Zohar gives, so we have so far two explanations as to what we mean, Hashem Echad, the most basic, the rejection of the belief in any other power other than God, not only pagan powers, but even um, some form of lower God or a power that can do bad, a Satan or devil that's independent of God, um, all uh, do not, uh, those, we're rejecting those beliefs. But take it even further, we reject the belief of God having any form or shape or any detail, God being an absolute existence, an absolute being. The Zohar gives us another perspective of what we mean, Hashem Echad, God is one. And really looking at the four words, Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. Hashem is our God. Hashem is one, looking at all four of these words together. And so the Zohar tells us that Hashem Elokeinu, using the Hebrew, the name for God, Havaya, refers to God the way he stands beyond creation. 
Elokeinu, the way God stands within creation. God stands in two ways. There's two different perspectives we can see God. On the one hand, we believe that God is invested in every single detail of creation. Every single part of creation, God is invested in everything. Nothing stands, uh, God, nothing is independent of God. God controls every single minute detail of creation. And cares about every detail. And watches every single detail, every single thing that happens. So on the one hand, God is invested in creation. That, the Zohar explains, is referred to by the name Elokeinu or Elokeinu. But the truth is, God stands beyond creation. God, as we said a moment ago, is absolute, is infinite, has no detail or shape whatsoever, to the point that for the infinite being, all of creation is, is infinitesimally small. The gulf between infinite and finite is infinite. So we are infinitesimally small for the Creator, of absolutely inf infinite, infinitesimally insignificant. We are absolutely insignificant to the absolute being. And both are true. And so what we are saying is that Havaya, God, as God is, stands beyond creation, as the Creator is an infinite, absolute being. So who we take out, we are infinitesimally small. We are of infinite distance of who we have, we are absolutely insignificant. That same Havaya is Elokeinu, is God as he is invested in every single detail. It is all Havaya Echad, it is all one. So God as he stands beyond and above creation is invested in every single detail in creation. And our purpose, our goal, through the fulfillment of the <coughs> commandments is to reveal God within this world, not just to reveal how God is invested in every single detail in this world, but to reveal how God the Creator stands above and beyond our world, and to reveal within this world how we are all within the Creator. We are all a part of the Absolute Being, and nothing truly stands outside. And that is the declaration of the Shabbat. How, while God is invested in detail within this world, God truly stands above and beyond this world, and we can reveal that, make that evident within our existence, um, how God truly stands, is truly infinite, and stands above and beyond this existence, and we are just a part of it. So that very, very briefly, um, and each of these themes can be expounded in much, much greater detail, but that is in very, very brief, the themes, at least some of the themes that we are expressing in the first statement of the Shema, both the belief in God being the only God, the only power, there are no independent powers whatsoever, uh, rejecting beliefs like Christianity that believe in other powers, and of course pagan beliefs. The belief in, uh, the further, uh, the belief in a singular God, an absolute God, that is the absolute being, that everything stands within. And then finally, according to the Zohar, the belief that God, as he is invested in all the details of this world, is the same as God as he stands above this world, and as he is infinite.
And all that is expressed within this first line, this first statement of the Shema. It is a very powerful statement. It is um, the most basic belief in Judaism, the belief in monotheism. And so therefore we have, um, we say it with lots of concentration, covering our eyes, as I mentioned earlier. And it's also the statement that Jews have always said um, in every, um, when um, at the end of their life, we've always said this statement. It's always been the powerful statement of Judaism. Um, Rabbi, yes. Say um, repeat in Hebrew the entire that first section. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Here, Israel, Hashem is our God. Hashem is one. You know, when I grew up in the Reformed Temple, yes. we said Adonai. Yes. So I am not pronouncing God's word, God's names. God's we do when we we definitely do when we pray. But um, we definitely learn. We definitely do when we pray. However, um, now, right now, I am not praying, and so therefore, since we are not praying, um, I'm not going to say it. Oh, okay. Rabbi. Yes. How do we respond to those that say uh, Hashem or any god is a construct of man? Uh, just to alleviate their fear of the unknown? That is a very good question. How, what evidence do we have for the existence of God? Why are we certain that God exists? That's an excellent question. Um, I feel terrible to do this and, um, uh, because I don't want you to be left with this question, um, to tell you that this really is a topic for another class but I'm afraid if I address this question, we will be stuck on this question for the next hour. So um, let me just say this in very brief response. Um, we believe in Judaism that the um, belief in God um, is not a leap of faith, but it rather is commonsensical um, and it is rational and every rational person can rationalize the belief of God um, I would say further, it is irrational not to believe in God. I know many people consider themselves rationalists and do not believe in God. Uh, but even so, I do believe that there is, um, that we can rationally um, say the, we can rationally explain God's existence. Um, and I encourage you to research further. Uh, perhaps we can do a class on how we know God exists. Um, I'm not sure if we've done it before in our Sunday mornings, but we definitely should. It's a crucial topic to address, and everybody should spend time learning about it. But I do believe that it is irrational. And as well as the second major belief in Judaism, the, the, the belief in our Torah, that God gave us the Torah, and God commanded us what to do, we believe is further irrational. And those, but that is really, we'll, we'll have to get to it another time. Um, I encourage you to research it further, not to wait, because I don't want you to go to sleep tonight with that question. <laughs> so after the very first line of Shema, we then continue with the next line of Shema, is the Baruch Shem, which Don had asked about before. So we recite this line, Baruch Shem Kavod Malchuto Le'olam Va'ed, which means blessed is the name of the glory of his kingdom forever and ever. And we recite it quietly. 
Now, the line Baruch Shem is not actually part of the paragraph of Shema as found in the Torah and found in this week's Parsha. The Shema in the Torah is Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, and then it continues straight on to Va'ahavta et Hashem Elokecha. You shall love God. It does not have this line, Baruch Shem. Why do we mention it? The simplest reason why we mention it, the most basic reason is, um, the Torah tells us later in Parshat HaAzinu, Kishem Hashem Ekra Elokeinu. When you mention the name of God, you must praise God. And therefore, we have a tradition that whenever in prayer someone mentions the name of God out loud, we all respond, Baruch Hu or Baruch Shema. Blessed is he and blessed is his name. So every time someone begins a blessing and says, Baruch Atah Hashem, blessed are, you, blessed are you Hashem, we and says God's name, we always respond, Baruch Hu or Baruch Shema, blessed is he and blessed is his name. We always want to praise God when God's name is mentioned. In the same way, uh, when we say this first line of Shema, we've mentioned God's name, we say a more elaborate statement, praising God's name, Baruch Shem, Kavod Machlotov, blessed is the name of the glory of his kingdom forever and ever. So it's a response to having just said God's name. The Talmud ever gives us a further detail as to why we would add this line, Baruch Shem. The Talmud explains that our forefather Yaakov Avino, Jacob, on his deathbed, called his sons. And he turned to them, and he was concerned that perhaps they are not going to follow his monotheistic beliefs. After all, Abraham had eight sons. Only one, Yitzchak, Isaac, followed him in Abraham's ways. Jacob had two sons. Uh, sorry, Isaac, Yitzchak had two sons, Yaakov and Esau. Only one, Yaakov, followed in his ways. Yaakov had 12 sons. He was afraid maybe one of them are not following um, his teachings. So he asked them, do you believe in God? And they responded, Shema Yisrael, here Israel. Israel was also Jacob's other name. Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem is our God. Hashem Echad, Hashem is one. And so Jacob, when hearing that, was so thankful, he turned to God and he said, Baruch Hashem, blessed is the name of God forever. So Jacob used it as a response to the Shema. Um, and because of that, we say it as well right after the Shema. However, since it was not written in the Torah, therefore our custom is to say it quietly. The Midrash offers another reason why we say Baruch Shem. The Midrash says, when Moses went up on Mount Sinai to receive the Torah from God, spent 40 days on Mount Sinai, he ascended to heaven, and there he heard the angels reciting the Shema and adding in this line, Baruch Shem. So and so when he came down, he taught it to the people. But because this line, Baruch Shem, was not taught to him by God directly, rather he heard it from the angels, therefore we recite it quietly. Now, However, the Midrash concludes on Yom Kippur, when we right. are like angels, we are pure on Yom Kippur, that we are like angels, we therefore recite it out loud, and indeed that is the Jewish custom to recite the Shema out loud on Yom Kippur, uh, the Baruch Shem, sorry, out loud on Yom Kippur. And so that is why we recite the Baruch Shem. The Zohar tells us that the line Baruch Shem, Baruch instead of bless, can also translate as draw down, 
and draw down God into this world refers to not just the statement of God being one, but bringing God into our world so our world or we humans recognize God within creation. So now the rest of that first paragraph continues with a number of commandments. The first, the first commandment is Hashem You shall love Hashem your God. Um, and this is a commandment to not just follow God's commandments, but to love Him as well. We should be excited and happy to follow God's commandments. Because we love God, we want to do what He says. So don't just do it because you have to, but because you love God. Therefore, you enjoy doing it. Why should we love God? How do you get yourself to love God? So our sages say, when you recognize how all the blessings that we have in life all come from God, and we truly have blessings in life, we often focus on the negatives, but we forget how many good things we have, how many positives we have in life. So many good things have happened to us in our life. In fact, everything that we have from the day we were born until today, including our very birth, but everything we have from the day we were born until today, whatever you may have, knowledge, skill, assets, relationships, everything that you have is a gift. You've had so many things work for you. The very fact that we're even alive till today. So many things have gone right, even if a handful have gone wrong. And so it's therefore important to recognize that and that all of this is coming from God and recognize, appreciate God's care and love for us. And therefore, in return, if we truly appreciate that, we will love God as well and want to do what he tells us to do. The verse that continues, you shall love God, with all your heart. Our sages say the word um, is not the regular way you would write heart, but with an extra vet. And that teaches us really with two hearts or two inclinations. Judaism teaches, the Torah teaches that every person has two sides. A positive inclination that pushes us to do the right thing, and a negative inclination that pushes us to do the wrong thing. So we have to love God with both of our inclinations, with our good inclination that pushes us to do the right thing. That's easy to love God with that, as well as with our negative inclination that pushes us to do the wrong thing. Our negative inclination is not really bad. We don't want to do bad because it's bad, but it's rather selfish. It does things that we want, we like, that are pleasant for us, that help us or at least we think help us. And so it's selfish, the negative inclination, self-centered. But we need to get ourselves to appreciate and enjoy the mitzvahs that we're doing to the point that our negative inclination enjoys it. We'd miss it. We enjoy doing a mitzvah. We enjoy praying so much that we couldn't manage without it. We're enjoying it. We're, we look forward to, to it. We enjoy Shabbos, we enjoy festivals, or we enjoy any other mitzvah so much that we're waiting for it. We're excited to do it, that even our selfish side wants to do it because we enjoy it. The Torah then continues, you shall love God not only with all your heart, but with all your soul or all your life. Our sages say this means, you have to be prepared to give up your life for God. 
if ever threatened and said, reject God's existence or your belief in Judaism, or you will die, um, you must be prepared to die that, rather than even verbally reject God. And indeed, our ancestors have done this throughout the generations. We mourn for many of them on Tisha B'Av. Um, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of our ancestors, if not more, um, well, millions have died because they were Jewish, but many of them were given the option, reject God or die, and they all chose to, almost all chose to die rather than reject God, reject their Judaism. And I think it's safe to say that every Jew today is almost certainly a descendant of Jews. We have grandparents who gave up their life for being Jews. Then the third, then the next thing the Torah says, you shall love God, b'chol me'odecha. What does me'odecha mean? So the word me'odecha comes from the word me'od, which means very much. But what does it refer to? So our sages offer two explanations, both true. Um, one is that it refers to all of our assets, all of our wealth, possessions. We have to be prepared to love God with all of our possessions. Now, the Talmud points out, if you love God, you're ready to give up your life for God, would you not certainly be able to give up your, be prepared to give up your possessions for God? Talmud says not necessarily. Some people like God, but like their life more than their possessions. Some people like their possessions more than they like their life. They'll be prepared to die, but not be prepared to give up their possessions. As the comedian Jack Benny said, um, uh, when he was held up, your money or your life, he said, I'm thinking. <laughs> so it wasn't his joke, but it actually goes back to the Torah itself. <laughs> Some people do value their money more than their life. Um, so another explanation of the word means from the word from every measure or every way God treats us, we still have to love him. When God, when God gives us good things, we have to love him. When God gives us bad, we still need to love him as well. And from this, our sages say we must bless God and thank God even when bad things happen. And indeed, we have a blessing that borders recite at a funeral, Baruch HaTashem, Elokeinu Melech Olam, Dayan HaEmet, Blessed are you, God, the true judge. Thanking God even for the death of our loved ones. So we have to thank God not only for good times, but for bad times as well. We believe ultimately God knows what he's doing and God has a master plan and ultimately there is good in everything that God does. The first paragraph of Shema continues with the commandment to teach our children Torah. You must teach your children Torah as well as speak the words of Torah yourselves when you sit at home, when you go on the way, when you lie down, and when you get up. It is a mitzvah to study Torah. The Torah study is not just so that we should know what to do, but we study Torah as it is one of the 630 commandments to study Torah. Later, God will tell Joshua, You must toil in Torah day and night. A Jew must spend every spare moment studying Torah. A Jew can never be bored. We never have extra time. Because every spare moment we spend studying Torah. We have a commandment, our sages say, study of Torah in a sense is equal to the fulfillment of all the commandments. And we must focus 
our lives, must be a big part of our lives, studying Torah, studying God's teachings, the teachings God has given. But not only do we have to study, but you must teach it to your children. It is crucial to teach the next generation. It is a central command, in a sense, the most important command um, that goes before almost any other commandment. Uh, we must do everything uh, we can to teach our children, both individually, teach our children, as well as as a community, ensure that there are schools, adequate schools, to teach our children Torah, to teach our children about Judaism. Then the, this first paragraph continues to tell us about the important commandments of tefillin and mezuzah. We are told about the tefillin that is worn daily on the head and on the arm by Jewish men. The tefillin have four paragraphs um, from the Torah that are written on parchment, rolled up and placed into square black boxes that are made from animal hide that is then tied on our arm to remind us of connecting our actions and next to our heart to remind us to connect our emotion to God as well as on our head to remind us to connect our mind to God. Then we also mentioned the mezuzah, which is a scroll with the first two paragraphs of the Shema that written on it and placed on our doorposts. And the mezuzah is a mark of a Jewish home and the sign of God's protection. So that is the first paragraph of the Shema. The second paragraph of the Shema comes from the portion of Achim, next week's parsha, And it speaks about the fundamental belief that if we do what God wants, then good things will happen to us. If we do not do what God wants, then we will be punished. And this is a fundamental belief, one of the principles of Jewish faith, reward and punishment. You do good things, God rewards you. You do bad, God will punish you. This is a central belief in Judaism, and it's that recognition and the recognition that we are expected by God to follow all of his commandments. Um, the Talmud therefore refers to the first paragraph as accepting, as the belief in God, the general belief in God, God being one, while the second paragraph, Bahayim Shavoah, as accepting to follow God's commandments. And this paragraph also includes the command to study Torah, to teach our children, to put on tefillin and put up a mezuzah, are all mentioned the second time in, the, in this paragraph as well. Now the third paragraph is from the portion of Shalach. The third paragraph called Vayomer is from the fourth portion, the portion of Shalach, which is from the book of Numbers, the book of Bamidbar. It speaks mostly about the mitzvah of wearing tzitzit. It is a commandment for Jewish men to wear, if they wear a four-cornered garment, to place strings on the four-cornered garment, um, eight strings, one of which should be a blue string. Today we no longer wear the blue string because we no longer know how to find the blue dye. We did a class on it a couple months ago as to what that blue dye may be today. Um, but it is a command to wear this tzitzit um, on our four-cornered garments. The reason for wearing the tzitzit is in order we see the tzitzit and it reminds us to keep the 613 commandments. And because the Torah here mentions that, we, that the tzitzit serve as a reminder to keep all the commandments, so it's a mention of all the commandments, therefore our sages instituted that added this paragraph to the Shema that we read it as well. The end of this, this paragraph concludes reminding us about how God took us out of Egypt and made us his people. And the Torah tells us that we must remember the Exodus every single day. And so for that reason, the sa our sages chose this paragraph um, to and added it to the Shema so that we remember the Exodus every single day and every single night, twice a day. Now the Torah mentions the Exodus many times, 
why they chose this paragraph, because not only does it mention the Exodus, but also mention um, keeping all of God's commandments. And so um, these are the three paragraphs of the Shema. At the end of the Shema, um, there is our sages instituted in both in the morning and in the evening to recite blessings before the Shema and after the Shema, which are found as part of the prayer book, as part of our daily prayers. We recite the Shema in the morning as part of our morning prayers, in the evening as part of our evening prayers, and we have a blessing beforehand and afterwards. The blessing after the Shema ends with the word Ebet. Sorry, begins with the word Ebet, true. So we finish the Shema, the next word we say, we start in the next blessing, is Ebet, true, that everything we said above is true. And our custom is that we're, even if we recite the Shema without the blessings of prayer, we still always conclude with the word Ebet, saying that the Shema is true. Now, the entire Shema has 245 words. There is a custom that to repeat the last three words of the Shema, Ani Hashem Elkechem, I am Hashem, your God, which um, in order to get to 248, because 248 is the number of positive commandments. There are 248 positive commandments, 365 negative commandments. So we recite the Shema twice every single day, once in the morning and once at night. When do we recite the Shema? So the Shema can be recited in the morning from when you're able to see somebody standing six feet away and recognize who they are. When is that? So our sages say that is when the sun reaches 10.2 degrees before the, below the horizon, a little before sunrise. Today that was at 5.11 a.m. We're now in the summer, so sunrise is pretty early these days. Sunrise is about 6 o'clock. Um, we can read the Shema until one quarter of the day, um, or when the sun is 45 degrees, um, 45 de is 45 degrees above the horizon, uh, above the eastern horizon, and that today was at 9.28 a.m. So you have to read it from where the sun is 10 degrees below the horizon until it's 45 degrees. You have, um, it varies during summer and winter, during summer the day is longer, so it's a longer amount of time. During winter the day is shorter, so it's a shorter amount of time. Um, but you have until that time to read the Shema every day. When do we read the Shema at night? So we have to read the Shema from when we see six, from when we're able to see three stars. It must be dark enough to be able to see three stars. That's without outside of an urban area, um, which has a lot of lights and makes it hard to see stars. At what point can you see three stars? So our sages tell us that is when the sun reaches six degrees below the horizon on the west, but it's after it sets. And that would be tonight at 8.26 p.m. You can read it until the first light appears, which is uh, when the sun is 6.9 degrees before the horizon in the morning or at 4.30 a.m. So you have all night to read it up to um, just before you can begin to see the first light, uh, known as dawn in English. Um, however, our sages say, ideally, you should read the Shema before midnight that you don't forget, and read it before you go to sleep. So, as you can, as you can see, the Shema is a very, very powerful prayer. 
or statement. It is the most powerful statement in Judaism. It is a mitzvah to recite the Shema twice every single day and focus on what we're saying, the declaration of what God, the belief in loving God, the commandment of Torah, the belief in reward and punishment, and reminding ourselves of all the commandments and reminding ourselves of the Exodus. It's important to recite the Shema twice every single day. Our sages say if someone's careful to recite the Shema twice every day, they are guaranteed a portion of the world to come. Because if you begin the day right and you end the day right, your day will go right. And so I encourage you, if you do not do so already, to try to recite the Shema twice every single day. I copied on the um, chat over here a link where you can say the Shema. It has it both in the Hebrew, transliterated, as well as translated, as well as an um, audio, if you want to listen to it in the Hebrew. Then I encourage you to recite the Shema. Ideally, if you can, all three paragraphs, is if that is too much, at least the very first paragraph of the Shema, recite it twice every day, once in the morning when you get up, and once in the evening when you go to sleep, before, uh, before you go to sleep, and that will help um, uh, center you, center your day, and make sure that you begin the day connecting to God and end the day connecting to God. It is a very, very powerful thing that you can do.